Coming up today, ways to effectively make a difference in the way we're governed. Every one person who does call them, they assume that's representing at least 10, if not more, constituents who share the same opinion. Then, using apologetics to share the truth about gender and how we're made. If they're going to say that gender and sex are two different things, then why would they say sex is assigned at birth? Because we all know it isn't. We all know it's part of the biology. And how to pass the gospel torch to our children and equip them to become defenders of the faith. The Lord has planted us in a dark and decaying world, but to be salt and light. It's necessary in order for our offspring to be able to be faithful to God in the time that He's planted us in. It's the weekend of December 30th and 31st. I'm Jeff Shambly, and this is The Stand Radio. It was Mark Twain who said it best, I think. Citizenship is what makes a republic. Monarchies can get along without it. (laughs) Well, the fact is, in our constitutional republic, it's crucial to be active citizens. And joining us to explain how to do that is Debbie Wuthnow. She's a vice president of AFA and president of iVoter Guide. It's a pleasure to have you with us today, Debbie. It's a pleasure to be here. Debbie, some people listening may limit their civic responsibilities simply to voting. Uh, Can you tell us why there would be some situations where it would be necessary to contact a member of Congress? Well, uh, Congress is supposed to represent us and what's important to us. And so uh, you need to let them know what is important to you. There, There will be legislation that comes before them that they have to make decisions. And it's amazing what um, power the representatives in their district have over the, uh, you know, bills that they will support or, or go against or even bills they'll propose. So, you know, they represent us. So we need to let them know what we think by contacting them. Would you walk us through the process if someone wants to contact a member of Congress exactly how do they do that? Well, first you have to know who your member of Congress is, and there are ways that the gov- house.gov uh, okay. slash representatives can help you find your house representative, uh, senate.gov for the Senate. So you have to know who they are, find out their contact information, and then you give them a phone call. How are these calls received from the people on Capitol Hill? Well, the way that they, the the staff for that representative will factor in, and, and they realize not many people call them. Okay. So every one person who does call them, they assume that's representing at least ten, if not more, wow. constituents who share the same opinion or have the same perspective. So it's worth your time to mm. share what you feel about that issue. Yeah, my second question was, are they effective? I guess that answers the question. Uh, if, if a representative or a, you know, a congressman gets that call, it, it's worth a lot. It's worth a lot. And in fact, you may not actually talk to the representative. They have people who answer their phone. They call them staffers sometimes. And, you know, they're keeping a tally of how many people called and, you know, were they from the district of that representative or not. So sometimes you just need to give them your zip code and that tells them that you actually are my representative. And then they keep a tally of, you know, this person said, I support this issue. This person says I don't. Um, Hmm. And it guides them in how they vote. Very good. What are some of the main points to remember now when you write an email or make a phone call? Well, number one is, as I said, give your zip code so they know that you are in their district. Zip code can do that. And then be specific. Prepare in advance. Um, brief is not bad. I'm calling because I heard you uh, are uh, you know, debating 
voter ID, and I'm in support of using voter ID. And then be timely. It's it's most important to call them when that issue is being discussed, um, when you, you know, maybe you connect with AFA Action and they let you know now's the time to call. So call them when it's timely. Uh, the next thing to remember is to be kind and courteous, to be to be respectful, to be civil. Um, learn the names of the, uh, the staffers that work for your representative and build relationship with them. And then when you're done, finally, uh, just say thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing my opinions with with the representative, and I'd be happy to talk with them some other time. Very good. And that does it. Tell us a little bit about iVoter Guide. So iVoter Guide is a division of AFA Action with the mission to equip voters to vote wisely when it's time to elect those people that represent you. So, um, you know, those elections happen at least every two years, and if not more often at the state and the local level. So iVoter Guide researches what's important to those candidates or those any and representatives. How have they voted on issues? Who have they given money to? Mm -hmm. um, Who's endorsed them? We send them our issue survey, and then we have this army of volunteers who assigns a rating to each candidate from verified liberal to verified conservative to kind of give you a snapshot of their political philosophy flavored a little bit with their worldview because we really would like to, I personally want to identify uh, candidates who share my biblical worldview and will fight right. for biblical freedoms. Um, and then you go to ivoterguide.com, enter your address and get your personalized ballot. And so we're just there to help you be a good steward of your responsibility to vote by voting wisely. I'll tell you what, this is a fantastic resource, ivoterguide.com. Not only can you do everything that you've just described, but there are also articles and uh, resources to help you understand what it's like to become a biblical citizen and what the Bible says about all of these different kinds of issues that we hear so much about. So it's a fantastic resource. So, uh, Debbie, thanks so much for your work on that uh, project. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's uh, It was a God calling, and it's done for His glory. Last question. What fuels the passion that you have for civic involvement? Um, it's my love for Christ. It's part of my being salt and light. Um, I view God as calling me to, uh, to, to I voter guide, but he's also called me to be a citizen of America, each of us. And we are called to be good stewards of our talents. You know, I don't want to be the person who buries my talent. I want to be a good steward and multiply that. And I personally need the information at I voter guide to vote wisely personally. And I'm understanding we all need to, if we want America to look like biblical values, we've got to participate in the process and be involved. And the minimum we can each do is to vote wisely. Very good. Debbie Wolfnell, thanks so much for your time today. My pleasure. A survey conducted by LifeWay Research indicates a growing change in the way people think about gender. Scott McConnell is the executive director of LifeWay Research, and he says that, quote, a majority of Americans reject the view of a creator giving them a gender that shouldn't be changed, close quote. That statement presents a challenge and an opportunity for believers to make some powerful arguments about how we are created. Dr. Frank Turek is the president of crossexamined.org and the author of the book, Correct, Not Politically Correct, and he's with us today to share some misconceptions about gender and how we as Christians can help point people to the truth. Frank, thanks for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jeff. In the article that you've written in the current issue of The Stand, you write that gender dysphoria could not exist without two fixed genders. Could you explain that for us? 
Sure. I, I mean, on one hand, the gender ideologues are trying to say that uh, there are no fixed genders, that everything's fluid. On the other hand, they have to unwittingly assume there are only two fixed genders for these couple of reasons. Reason number one, if I'm a man and I think I'm a woman, I have to have some idea what a man is and some idea what a woman is to know that I have this gender dysphoria, because if I couldn't know what a man was or what a woman was, I couldn't know I had it. <laughs> Secondly, in order for me to try and make the so-called transition from being a man to being a woman, which is biologically impossible, by the way, but some people still try it, I have to have some idea of what a man is and some idea what a woman is to actually try and make that transition. If there were no such thing as a man or a woman, transgenderism would be impossible. Well, it actually is impossible, but I mean, their ideology tries to say this is possible. The only way it could be possible is if you knew what a man and a woman was. So on one hand, they're trying to say gender is completely fluid. On the other hand, they have to unwittingly assume there are only two genders. And by the way, another reason you could say, Jeff, is the fact that if you look at the whole mammalian world, which of course includes human beings, you can only produce one of two things. You can either produce a sperm or an egg. There's no third category. We know there are people that can't produce either, but that's an incapacity. That's not a third capacity. So the whole mammalian world, by design, cries out that there are only two genders. You can either produce a sperm or an egg. There's no third, fourth, fifth, or sixth, or, or any other category. There's just two. Mm -hmm. So when people say that uh, gender and sex are two different things, um, what do they mean by that, if, if biology is so clear? Well, they're trying to say that uh, sex is your biology and gender is what you think okay. your identity is. And that's, that's why they draw a line between sex and, and and uh, gender. The problem is, is they'll say these two things are completely different. Uh, okay. If that were the case, why are they always trying to align their biology with what their gender is? Which, which by their definition is just whatever they think they are. If these two things are completely different, then you ought not try and change your biology to align with your gender. I mean, if, if biologically I'm a man, Jeff, and yet I think I'm a woman, uh, gender-wise... Uh, but these two things are completely unrelated. Why would I try and change my biology right. to be a woman? We know it's impossible, but why would I try it anyway? Because there is a connection between these two things. That If there wasn't a connection, there would be no such thing as gender dysphoria. There would be uh, transgenderism wouldn't be a thing. Mm -hmm. The reason it is a thing is they're trying to align what their minds say with what their body actually says. And look, if I'm a man, Jeff, and I think I'm a woman, why do I think my body is wrong? Why not think my mind is wrong? I mean, why, why would I say I'm a woman trapped in a man's body? It would be more accurate to say, if it's true at all, for me to say I'm a man enveloping a woman's mind. Right. If that were the case, the way I could fix the problem would be to change my mind. We know it's impossible to change your biology, but it's not impossible to change your mind. Gender dysphoria, like anorexia, which is a parallel to this, should be treated with psychiatry, not surgery. Mm -hmm. We would never say to an anorexic, you know, you're right, you're dangerously overweight, let me give you a liposuction. You know, we would say, uh, honey, I'm sorry, your mind is playing tricks on you. Uh, we have to get you nutrition. We would never affirm a person's a dysphoria when it comes to anorexia. Why are we doing it now when it comes to gender? Yeah. Because sex, of course, as you know, is the new religion. You can't 
You can't in any way you say anybody's wrong about anything regarding sex in our country now. And that's just the way the culture is. So you hit on that. This is a religious uh, issue, isn't it? I mean, you can't point to biology. The logic falls apart. It has to be a religious issue. Sure. Well, they might not term it religious, but if you define religion as someone's ultimate commitment, Mm -hmm. it is an ultimate commitment for many people. They think they have the right to try and change reality to fit their desires. But the truth of the matter is we need to change our desires to fit reality. Because we are not God, we can't change reality. Uh, So instead of trying to change reality to fit our desires, we ought to change our desires to fit reality. That's what wisdom does. And by the way, that seems to be the dividing line generally between people who call themselves conservatives who want to conserve what we know is true versus the people that are on the left side of the issue trying to say, well, we're just going to try and change reality to fit our desires. No, the conservative and proper view is to try and change our desires to fit reality because we know what is right and true. One of the things you write about in your article, Five Fatal Flaws in Transgender Ideology in the Stan Magazine, is that people argue that sex is assigned, quote, at birth. What's wrong with that argument? Well, we all know it's nonsense, Jeff. I mean, when, when a baby comes out, the, the doctor doesn't arbitrarily go, should I call this a, a boy or a girl? I mean, you just look at the baby and you know what it is. And by the way, in most cases now, it's, it's discovered, and it's not even discovered at birth. It's discovered long before that through either uh, you know, some kind of test, whether it's an ultrasound or something else. Most people know what they're going to have before they have the baby. So it's not assigned at birth. It's discovered at birth sometimes before. So the only way the ideologues can get people to uh, try and uh, agree with their position is to try and change in their minds what they actually already know is true, that there are just boys and girls, there are just men and women, and they have to come up with the most inane arguments that sex is assigned at birth. And and by the way, this goes back to the problem we talked about earlier, if they're going to say that gender and sex are two different things, you know, sex is your biology and gender is what you think your biology is, then why would they say sex is assigned at birth? Because we all know it isn't. We all know it's part of the biology. So it's, this is so inconsistent. It should make most liberals blush. That's how inconsistent it is. Frank, one of the things I love about your ministry is that you go to college campuses and you are really on the front lines in, in talking about these issues with young people. What are some of the biggest false assumptions that you hear regarding gender and sexuality on the college campus? Well, some of them we already covered. Um, another is the idea that what you think about in your mind is what you really are. And okay. we know that's not true, Jeff, because if you were what you thought you were or what you think about most, most men would be women and most women would be chocolate. <laughs> so you're not what you think about, okay? <laughs> Although, you know, there is a sense in which that's true from a, a, a Christian perspective, because uh, from a Christian perspective, which I think is the true perspective, that if you accept Christ as your Savior, if you not just believe that he's the Savior, but trust in him, yeah. then you have become a child of God, and you, you are an heir to the throne. In other words, you are forgiven, and you will be given Christ's righteousness. So to a certain extent, it is true that your identity comes from what you think about, but not just what you think about, what you accept, what you embrace. Who do you trust? Do you trust Christ for what he's done? 
If you do, then you're not only forgiven, you're going to be given his righteousness. And since there's such an identity crisis in our culture today, Jeff, I think it's important to point out that Christianity is the only worldview where you do not achieve your identity, you receive your identity. Wow, that's good. There's nothing you do to achieve it. If you have to achieve it, A, all the pressure's on you. B, there's always somebody that can do it better. C, you're never going to be satisfied because you're not quite sure if you've gotten there. But if you just receive it as a gift, all the pressure's off, and mm. you can't lose it because it's, it doesn't depend on you. Yeah, it depends yeah. on what Christ has done. Yeah, that's so. Uh, it is a freeing. Uh, it is a freeing worldview, not a not a restrictive worldview. Mm. Uh, let's close out by talking about some uh, simple concepts that parents and teachers can use to help their children uh, really avoid the deception behind these transgender arguments. Well, some of the things you can do is ask the right questions. Suppose your kid comes home and says, Mom, Dad, I'm trans. First thing you can't do is freak out. Don't freak out. Say, hey, thank you for telling me. Can I ask you some questions? Number one, what do you mean by trans? What does that even mean? Number two, um, how did you come to that conclusion? Why do you think you're trans? Oh, it's because you have a feeling. Uh, Third question, do feelings always tell you the truth? Well, actually, no, they don't. Sometimes they don't tell you the truth. And I mean, if you followed every feeling you had, you wouldn't be alive very long, right? Um, thirdly, do feelings ever change? Because, you know, last month you weren't trans, now you are, according to your feelings. Uh, those feelings changed. Do you think they might change again? And you know what the evidence shows, Jeff? That 80% of kids who experience so-called gender dysphoria, and much of that, by the way, is social media driven today, 80% of those kids, by the time they hit 18, have grown out of it. They're back to their biological sex. So it makes absolutely no sense to do anything other than wait in terms of any of these sex uh, uh, hormone blockers or sex change operations. That's not the solution. The solution is to get them counseling and wait, not to do any of these crazy things that unfortunately the Biden administration wants us to do with this misnamed gender-affirming care. So always ask questions like, well, why do you think you're trans? Do feelings always tell you the truth? Do feelings ever change? Do you think your feelings may change again? And by the way, have you looked into the evidence of people who have tried to do sex change? Do you know the kind of horrors they experience when they do this? Because they probably haven't read about it. Now, we have a book called Correct, Not Politically Correct about same-sex marriage and transgenderism that goes into all this. It's not, there's not a bunch of Bible verses in there. This is just a, the natural law medical case against both same-sex marriage and transgenderism, showing that neither are good for individuals or society. So if you, mm-hmm. you want to learn more about this that you can even give to a non-believer, check out the book Correct, Not Politically Correct about same-sex marriage and transgenderism. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, the article comes from some of the content from that book. Uh, listeners can get that at the, the website crossexamined.org. Once again, crossexamined.org. Frank, thank you so much for helping us navigate these issues today, and especially for giving parents uh, some good tools to help talk to their children. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. God bless. Now, passing the gospel torch to our children. Abraham Hamilton III is heard every weekday on AFR on the Hamilton Corner, calling believers to contend for the faith. In the current issue of The Stand magazine, he talks about discipling children. 
I caught up with Abraham at his home, and as we walked toward his office, he introduced me to his children. All right, so this is our schoolroom where three of our youngers hello, are hello. learning. So this is Abby, Gaby, Danny, y'all wanna say hi? I brought up a recent Pew Research study that showed the natural tendency of children to follow their parents' values. I asked him why that wasn't enough for Christian parents. The major reason why um, that natural occurrence isn't enough is uh, because regeneration is not a natural occurrence. <laughs> Being born again is the work of the Spirit of God uh, upon an unregenerate heart, you know, and so you have some things that may uh, transmute superficially, but the core of uh, faithfulness to Christ, adherence uh, to submission to the Lord's word as authoritative and um, true authentic faith is not the product of, of a mere natural occurrence. So it has to be uh, in order for subsequent generations to be uh, inculcated in Christ following. It has to be the product of intentional gospel proclamation and discipleship uh, investment. At this very moment, Many of you, if not most of you, are making your transition from your part-time jobs where you generate an income to your full-time jobs where you cultivate an outcome. And as you do so, I want to encourage you to do it with intentionality and comprehension as to exactly what it is you get the opportunity to do. It should not be Every day on your show, The Hamilton Corner, you begin with a reminder of the importance of deliberate parental input into children's lives. Why are you so passionate about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, first and foremost, I'm passionate about it because as a Christian, personally, it is commanded to Christians by God, you know, and unfortunately, many Christians treat God's commands as if they're suggestions, you know, as if they are uh, highly recommended, but reject if you're not inclined. No, there actually are commands. Secondarily, uh, it is the Lord's desire for every generation to be replete with witness, with a gospel witness, and God chooses to do that through people. And so, uh, because I am a Christian personally, I'm invested in the, the life and the vitality of the Lord's church, it is central to really who I am. This is our dining room table where we usually do family devotions, family okay. worship. Actually, Anna, she is uh, skilled in music, learns the piano, and she always brings a hymn, uh, some song where we start in the worshiping song, and then we break the word of God open right here at the dining room table. Good. In the evenings after I get off the air. <laughs> okay. How do you and Maria um, implement those things here in your own home? Yeah, one of the major things that, that God impressed upon us as we... Uh, began to learn that the Lord commanded my, my wife and I to disciple our children was one of the primary ingredients that sometimes goes overlooked is time. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, uh, the Jewish Shema, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and your strength. It goes on to say, and you shall teach this diligently to your children when you rise and when you sleep and when you walk by the way. The thing that the Lord gripped us with is that disciples aren't made in a microwave. Mm. You know, it requires time. Now, the scripture was the first thing that, that grabbed us with that. Then endeavoring to put that into practice, what we found is that quantity of time with our children gives rise to quality of time with them. So the frequency with which we interact sets the stage for us to have these substantive interactions about life, death, eternity, purpose, things of that nature. And so uh, that's how we endeavor to implement it by creating opportunities where we have frequent interactions with them. And one of the major decisions we made to accomplish that is to educate our children at home and our education being 
viewed as a subset of our overarching impetus to make disciples of our children. Let's broaden it out just a little bit. What do you think the connection is between strong homes and the society at large? Oh, it's very plain. Uh, society is, the, I mean, family is the fundamental building block of any society. You know, we read Psalm 128. It gives the, 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 cre- the, the clear communication of that phenomenon. The transformed individual becomes an anchor for a transformed family. The transformed family becomes an anchor you know, for a transformed church. Transformed church becomes an anchor for a transformed society. We will never be able to out-politic deficiencies that are prevalent in the homes. Yeah. Wow. How should parents' discipleship prepare uh, the kids to voice the biblical worldview in a secular place? Yeah. Uh, it is Jesus himself who made the observation that I've given my, given my disciples your word and the world will hate them. Then he said, but I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you to keep them in it, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God knows very well that he's planted us in a society of rapid decay. The necessity for the believer to be able to stand and be effective. I I think a great example for us in our day and age is Daniel and his friends. You know, the, the testimony about Daniel and his friends are often described as the Hebrew boys. But the fact is there were only boys in chapter one of the book of Daniel. From chapter two on, they're not only grown men, they're grown grown, you know, <laughs> later on where we see Daniel contesting uh, and, and, and standing faithful to Yahweh and then ultimately being placed in the lion's den. There are lots of pictures that depict that as if Daniel is some strapping young boy. But the facts are Daniel was in his 80s, hmm. close to his 80s and in his 80s about that time. And so you have an octogenarian standing in the lion's den. And so the book of Daniel gives us an example of people of God starting as boys in chapter one who are in Babylon for really 70 years as the prophet Jeremiah prophesied. But though they were in Babylon far longer than they ever were in Judah, Babylon never got in them. Our call is similar. The Lord has planted us in a dark and decaying world, but to be salt and light. It's necessary in order for our offspring to be able to be faithful to God in the time that he's planted us in. You're not only a radio host and an attorney and father, you're also a pastor. Uh, (laughs) What is the role of pastors and churches in biblical training and discipleship? Yeah, Ephesians chapter 4 communicates it very well. It is the, the church's responsibility to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So by all too, all too often in our country, people view ministry as solely as what goes on behind the pulpit. When the reality is that the organized church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, is a gathering of believers, but for the purposes of being fortified, sharpened, and trained so that when you leave the corporate gathering of believers, that you're effective in doing the work of the ministry. It is the pastor's job as a shepherd, as a clarion voice, um, conveying the truths of scripture to sharpen the people of God, to prepare them to stand in the day and time that God has planted them in. Because Acts 17, the Lord says, he determined the boundaries of our habitations and the time in which we would live. It is the shepherd's job to fortify the Lord's people, to be effective ambassadors of the eternal kingdom of God in the time that he's planted us in. Next week, we'll start off the new year with a look at how companies are taking a closer look at how they handle diversity, equity, and inclusion. We'll also hear about the spiritual state of our churches and reasons some of them are in decline. The Stand Radio is a weekly program that highlights the current topics covered every month in The Stand, the official online and print publications of the American Family Association. If you'd like to stay up to date on what's going on at AFA and get insightful articles on culture, faith, and family, 
you'll want to get a free six-month subscription to The Stand magazine. Just go to afa.net slash The Stand. For questions or comments about anything you may have heard today, you can email us at thestand at afa.net. Until next time, I'm Jeff Shambly. Thanks for listening.